there's those weird beetles that we got out here. Yeah. Is that what? Is that what they are? Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought they're like stink bugs. Isn't that what they are? That's essentially what they are, yeah. Yeah, yeah at least that's what I know them as. <laughs> yeah, see, that you're thing. not alone. Whatever that thing is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, save that one for the blooper reel. <laughs> Welcome back. This is episode 199 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny. And to go through a little bit of the news, back on episode 186, we featured Pam Hyman of Michter's Distillery. Pam talked about her extensive history working in bourbon that began at the Booker No plant. She's had a long tenured career and was named the master distiller of Michter's back in October of 2016. However, last week, Pam announced she is retiring from Michter's and Dan McKee will be taking over as the new master distiller. We wish Pam all the best in her retirement and you can look forward to hearing her one last time when we release her interview with Fred Minnick at the Kentucky Derby Museum's Legend Series. It might be the worst kept secret in history, and I think it even gets a mention in today's episode, but the fourth Wild Turkey Master's Keep release titled Cornerstone will likely be a nine-year-old rye according to the filings with the TTB. The label describes it as the Cornerstone as a Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey Batch 0001, bottled at 109 proof, aged a minimum of nine years, and approved by Eddie Russell. However, we all sort of knew this was coming for a while. Also kind of fun to note, if you go on a barrel pick at Wild Turkey, there is going to be a few rye barrels just for sampling fun. Just another reason to love those Russells. We've had both our guests back on the Russells family episode, which was 175. But this time, Joanne and Bruce get to have a moment in the spotlight. Both know their Wild Turkey distillation and family history like the back of their hand. We know this firsthand because on our last Russell's Reserve barrel pick, we had Joanne actually giving us the tour uh, for the podcast. And this show dives into their personalities because these two are very vibrant. They know what they're doing. And we discuss the effect of bringing fresh faces into the distillery and how they plan to keep some of these traditions that Mimi, as you'll understand here in a little bit, how it try to keep those alive. We've got about 150 bottles remaining from our four barrels of Pursuit series. These are ranging anywhere from 10 to 14 years old, and we're excited that we're going to be bringing two new more barrels in May. One last one of these is actually going to be a five-year wheat from Finger Lakes Distilling, and you can get information about these barrels, such as their proof and the story behind them, as well as you can get them shipped to your door at PursuitSpirits.com. And as always, you've got Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick. And this is Above the Char. In a recent Twitter survey, I asked a question. Do you think fake Pappy Van Winkle is in circulation in American retailers and restaurants? 86% of the 861 voters said yes. Now, my followers tend to be a little bit more cynical and on the whiskey geek side, but think about this for a moment. Some of the most enthusiastic people in all of spirits, the American whiskey fan, the majority tend to think that there's fake Pappy Van Winkle in circulation. That means someone is going to be buying a fake bottle or pour of Pappy Van Winkle. Now, how is this possible? In the times we live in, how is it possible that we can uh, continue to face these types of issues, fraudulent activity on something as as benign as American whiskey? It's ridiculous. 
but we've seen it in scotch. There are people serving time in prison for wine. We even had the Pappy Van Winkle heist a few years ago where Buffalo Trace employees stole from their own employer and tried to resell it. But the fact is, as long as people can make money, it will always happen. People will always try to circulate fraudulent bottles into the marketplace. And there's not a whole lot we can do about it. But there is one thing, one thing that everyone out there can do. And that's putting an end to the selling of empty bottles on eBay. Get on eBay right now and just search Pappy Van Winkle, empty bottle. Now I came across one that was selling for $700 and the guy had empty in quotation marks. And you know, frankly, I just saw red and kind of went off on it in Instagram, but he was really probably trying to sell a full bottle now that I think about it. But nonetheless, you will still find a number of Pappy Van Winkle bottles for sale. You'll also find empty uh, orphan barrels and Buffalo Trace Antique Collection and Four Roses Limited Editions, and you'll see uh, older Michter's bottles being for sale. And there's, they serve no purpose to be sold as empty bottles other than to for someone to refill them at another time. Because no one's sure in the shit making candles out of them or lamps. So if you're someone who's putting an empty bottle in eBay, I just want you to know that you're part of the problem. Oh, you may need money. I understand that. And if you've done it once, you know, I hope you got the funds you needed. But if it's consistently happening, and this is part of a business plan that you have, or this is something that you hope uh, to break in and become like a, a special uh, follow on eBay, well then, sir or ma'am, you are causing us a whole lot of headaches in American whiskey right now because there's a good chunk of us who do not trust that good Pappy Van Winkle or Buffalo Chase Antique collection is legitimate. And if you are selling empties on eBay, you are one of the biggest pariahs in American whiskey right now. There, I said it. Think about that. If we can put an end to selling empties on eBay we may be able to put a dent in some of the fraudulent activity we've seen on the secondary market and worst case scenario in retail or in restaurants. So I don't know what to do about it. It's not illegal. People can do what they want with an empty bottle. But if you have an empty bottle, display it proudly on your mantle or take it outside and break the motherfucker with a sledgehammer. I don't care, but don't put it on eBay. And that's this week's Above the Char. This, this subject's got me pretty pissed off. So if you have something that might piss me off, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, at Fred Minnick. That's at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. 
It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to the episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny here recording once again in Lawrenceburg at Wild Turkey Hill, home of Wild Turkey Bourbon. And this has been a series of recordings that we have been doing. However, we have two new guests to the show that had not been on previously because we have had Jimmy and Eddie on. And we've got a few of the Wild Turkey Super fans that have been on before as well. But this one, we kind of looked at it and we said, there's got to be some more faces, right? And there's a lot of new faces that are starting to up and come that are the younger generation of bourbon or what Fred and some other Cells are starting to call this, even the media people, like the new regime of it, right? Because we've got a lot of people that are older authors and they're trying to do something different. You know, we're doing podcasts now, and now we've got some new blood that are starting to enter the the whiskey world in itself. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guests. So we have got Bruce Russell, who is the global, was the global brand ambassador. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah. How's it going, guys? Um I was just the brand ambassador. There was just only ever one of us. So I was like all of them, uh, whatever there would be, I would do. Uh, but now they've got me transitioning to, to be more in the distillery, hopefully take over and, uh, and do a lot of the same stuff that dad and Jimmy did. So we'll talk about that one. Then we also have Joanne and Joanne, is it street? Am I saying the name correctly? Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, do a little bit of brand ambassador work, but I also help out in the visitor center with you know, all the events and whatnot that go on kind of all over the place. So let's go ahead and that's a that's a good way to kind of kickstart it. So you you're going in doing a lot of like the events and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Do you do you want to follow in any other footsteps to like get into the the distillation, the warehouse, the actual jobs of what's actually happening inside of the distillery now? So for me, I I have a little bit of a different story. Like Bruce grew up coming to the distillery whereas I grew up in Tennessee and then decided to move up to Kentucky. Um, but right now I'm Congratulations. Still pretty... <laughs> you made a great great choice. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I think I'm liked a little bit more now. 
now in the Russell family because yeah, I moved true. up here. You don't wear like a bunch of orange around the house. Absolutely not. Okay, so you're not a volunteer. I went to the University of Kentucky. So oh, okay. Well, perfect. Diehard Cats fan. But um, for me, I think I'm still trying to find my way in this industry. And right now I'm really enjoying the marketing aspect of the job and just really getting to interact with different bartenders and people who truly love what we do here. Um, and it makes me more passionate and want to be better at my job as well. So for right now, I think... Let Bruce, um, Eddie, and Jimmy make all the good juice, and then I'll just be out there talking about it, sharing the wild turkey love. So you don't have any dreams or aspirations to want to do that? Maybe in the future, but right now I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Um, Maybe like a summer internship, something like that, to, to learn the distilling operation? Yeah, we'll see. I think once Bruce gets here, um, I've learned a lot from him. We're kind of really good buddies and um, definitely who I look up to the most. So I'm sure once he gets back here and kind of doing his thing, I'll probably be very intrigued in that as well. Um, but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now. Good. So Awesome. And so Bruce, we'll, we'll kick that over to you. So you have been now, you live in Austin, Texas right now, correct? Uh, kind of. Kind of? All right. Uh, so I haven't lived there much this year. So he's I've between, home. he's back, between yeah. homes. Um, they've got me moving back for sure permanently here in Kentucky January 1. Uh, it was actually supposed to be sometime this year, so my job's kind of in a transition phase where I've really probably spent the most time here in Lawrenceburg at the distillery this year um, as opposed to 300 days on the road last year, but I'm still doing a little bit of the ambassador work. Uh, we've hired somebody to take over as a national-level ambassador, but I guess they don't they don't they treat everybody a little bit nicer than us mm -hmm. uh so they didn't make well, your him family. travel yeah they didn't make him travel 315 days so he only has the west coast so i'm filling in a little bit on the east coast joanne's filling a little bit on the east coast and some of the smaller markets um so you guys are starting to understand what it's like to live in the delta sky lounge <laughs> exactly yeah uh and we are delta through and through me dad jimmy i think all of us are yeah we've we've talked about it uh to an extent at least with eddie because uh, i was a delta person at yeah. one point when i was traveling so we talked about sky lounges and sort of how you get used to which Atlanta, always confused Atlanta me Detroit. why they weren't southwest uh with because, wild turkeys of southwest yeah and, yeah and jimmy was buddies with herb and like i think that's kind of how that wild turkey thing got started uh but now everybody's we're getting swarmed by bugs out here, by the way. So if you see us <laughs> on camera and we're dodging and weaving, it's it's because there's just bugs just flying everywhere. And we are recording outside. So if you hear trucks going on in the background, it's because of the limestone quarry that they are just trucking stuff in and out of. You know, it was funny. We we were actually recording another episode and trying to figure out, you know, where Bruce was going to start coming into here because uh, Eddie actually was part of the union when he started coming in here and uh, Jimmy was sort of laughing a little bit because he made him do that. Now, are they going to make you start joining the union too and sort of work your ranks up or do you think you've no, you figured out a shortcut? Uh, no, and it's a cute story now, but... Um it wasn't as cute back in the day. There's, you know, there's some real animosity between them about how Dad got started. Uh, I don't even think that, that Mimi originally wanted Dad to work here. Uh, you know, now they they work well together and we make amazing whiskey. Um, but I won't have to do the exact same thing Dad did because uh, Dad was kind of forced to go to the union without a college degree. Uh, and I'm coming in with a little bit of background in the job and, and with a degree and um, some chemistry under my belt and stuff uh, and, and been having doing the apprenticeship. So I would assume that I'm going to have to do the same type of things, but I probably won't be a union employee. Uh, I'll probably be a Campari employee, but their plan is to get me uh, as soon as possible into the warehouse. And one thing we did forget to mention is, so you are Eddie's son. Oh, yeah. Right? So we got, forgot to talk about the family lineage <laughs> at yeah, some yeah. point. So, uh, yeah, uh, Jimmy Russell, Mimi is what we call him, me and Joanne, uh, is our grandfather. Uh, 
Eddie, the current master distiller, is my father. Uh, and then he is Joanne's uncle. Um, but as far as Wild Turkey is concerned, uh, you know, Jimmy, Mimi was not the first one to work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother worked here before he did and was basically the reason he got a job here. And then his father had worked here even before my grandmother did. Uh, and as far as I know, his grandfather was maybe the first person to work in the distillery here in Lawrenceburg or in Anderson County. And he worked at the old Joe plant, which I believe was the, the precursor to what eventually became Four Roses. Mm-hmm. So talk about your side. Like, did you did you look at um, coming into this as saying, like, I just... I just need a job, guys. Like, can we can we have some fun here? Or did you have this aspiration of wanting to be a part in to the family business? Yeah, so growing up, I always went to different events that they threw, like, outside of the distillery, whether it be Bourbon Festival um, or, like, the National Wild Turkey Federation down in Nashville. Um, and they, I've always kind of had interest in it. But when I turned 21, I started out giving tours at the visitor center, just kind of working there as a summer job. And the, the longer I was there, the more passionate I got about it. And when you really get here and you see um, what Jimmy and Eddie do here and then what Bruce has done the past few years, you just kind of you love it. You can't get out of it. It's addicting. Um, and when you see that passion, you don't want to do anything else. Hey, you, you, know? you use that word passion a lot, right? Mm-hmm. About what you what you see inside the family. Yeah. So are you looking at making this uh, a lifelong career at Wild Turkey? Or are you looking at this as like, this is this is be fun? No, I'd love to, I'd love to work here. Um, and it's not just the family, it's the people. Um, a lot of our employees have been here for a very long time. And I think that says a lot to our company and who we are as a brand, um, that it's not just Jimmy and Eddie that have been here forever. We've got people that have worked here 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, so you're just, saying there's other people we should have on the podcast too besides Jimmy and Eddie? <laughs> if you want to. Then no, because no, they'll tell you the real truth. Yeah. <laughs> Mimi don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so another question for you while you're still we're talking on Joanne here. Kind of talk about what it is being, you know, we, we'll talk about being sort of a younger generation here in a second, but being female, because right now you have a lot of females that are starting to make their presence. You've got Fawn Weaver of uh, Uncle Nearest. You've got Marianne Eves of Castle mm-hmm. and Key. Um, you've got the, the, the Bourbon Women's Society that's starting to grow on hundreds of members now. So do you, do you see this as like a, a great push for for? you know, involvement of women into whiskey too? Absolutely. And I've got to be a part of women in whiskeys a lot. So their Instagram page, they've got a ton of followers, but also just the support. Um, because I'm sure like Jimmy said, back in the day, it really was a gentleman's drink and not so much anymore. And, um, he likes saying that. I think, I he, think he does. Yeah. Too. He's got, you got this little like winkle in his eye. He's like, yeah, he's just a it's man. Uh, maybe, the, maybe it's the good old days. I don't know what yeah, he's thinking. But, but It's awesome. It's a great time to be in the industry. It's booming right now. Um, and it's it's not just whether it be brand ambassador work, but bartenders and just industry in general is is growing insanely right now. And I'm just thankful to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about sort of new blood, right? Like what it means to be new blood in here. Do you do you think that this is because we Jimmy had said it before, right? It's a it's an old man's drink. It was something that just was just kind of just pretty stagnant for a while. Do you see is a, a new regime or new blood coming in that's kind of reinvigorating this market? Absolutely. I would definitely say so, and it's it's everywhere, and I don't think it's just in bourbon or whiskey. I think it's in all of the industry, whether it be the beer or the vodka or the gin. I think it's everywhere. Everybody's kind of coming together and realizing women have a pretty powerful role in this industry, and it's just exciting to be a part of it. And Bruce, what about you? Because, you know, you're going to be, I guess, going head-to-head with, say, Freddie No here. 
in a, in a few years, right? <laughs> I hope not head to head. He's bigger than me. He'll knock me out. Uh, I'll, I, I love Freddie. I love that family. Uh, there's very little competition. I don't even consider me and Freddie the new regime. That is not new regime. He's just trying to do what his granddaddy did. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to make Booker proud, really. And that's kind of what I'm doing, just trying to make Jimmy proud. Uh, so I think you'll probably see some more old school stuff from us than you will maybe our peers as far as age is concerned. This new wave of, of distiller, this new wave of industry person is really exciting uh, for the most part. Um, now, here in Kentucky, I don't think we have as big of a problem as you see in other places. Uh, but here in Kentucky, we've got a ton of, of young and just younger people than Dad and Jimmy that are making amazing product. When you look at stuff uh, and people that are just involved, maybe not even at the master, quote unquote, master distiller level, but there's the people in there making it. There's uh, a young guy out there at that uh, new uh, contract distiller out there in Bardstown, the Bardstown, Bardstown Bourbon, Bourbon Company, mm-hmm. and they're making crazy good juice. We went out there and checked it out uh, with, uh, I believe his name is Mr. Hargrove out there making some good stuff. Um, Drew over there at Willits doing some crazy cool stuff. Marianne over there at Castle and Keys doing some crazy cool stuff. There, there's this group of people, especially here in Kentucky, um, the folks over at Angels in me. Uh, are doing some really cool stuff. That, and that younger generation, I'm really excited to see because all these people are either from here and had family involved or they're doing it in a way that I think you can be proud of. Uh, but I will say that that there is some bad that's come from... Oh, here we go. Go with the dirt. Uh, it's not dirt, but I, I do think that there is something about every 25 to 35-year-old person with a chemistry degree distilling aspirations now like we talked about before calls himself a master distiller and finds seven angel investors to build him a distillery and they're buying juice that they don't want to really talk about and be honest about like there's a good side and a bad side uh not only to the young younger uh influence and and kind of influx into our industry but also there's money to be made now and for most of jimmy and dad's career there was no money to be made so the people doing it were people that loved it Mm -hmm. and now you know you see a little bit of both um, but with people like Freddie and uh, the family over there at Angels Envy and, and Drew and Marianne and, um, I mean, even Dad and his generation, when you look at Fred and Dad and, and somebody like Harlan or Denny, um, we're in good hands here in Kentucky. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to kind of touch on something else that you were talking about there, too. We talked about, uh, you know, the chemistry degrees and, and all that sort of stuff. Kind of talk about your background of sort of what's going to lead you into the distilling path, right? I mean, you're, you're going to take a, an apprenticeship underneath your dad and mm-hmm. sort of learn from the ranks. Um, so I think that my kind of education will be uh, twofold. Um, it'll be mostly hands-on work. Uh, the academic aspect of distilling, the, the, the chemistry component. Um, I've spent a lot of time studying, uh, researching, and and learning from the people that we have here uh, on our technical team and uh, our old distillery supervisor uh, and dad. And that's what I've always been most interested in. Before I wanted to work here, I was going to school trying to be an engineer. So, uh, you know, I've always been a tinkerer. Taking things apart, figuring stuff out has always been very interesting to me. Where most of my apprenticeship will be now is learning how to actually do it by hand. Even though all this is automated, it's very important for dad and Jimmy to pass along how it's done kind of the way that Jimmy used to do it. That way I know, oh, when this... <laughs> when this shit breaks. When this shit breaks or <laughs> when this shit isn't going right. Yeah. And a distillery does not run correctly almost ever. 
anybody, anytime you go to the store and they're like, oh, everything's running great. That's usually not mm -hmm. the case. Uh, everything, something's always wrong. And I need to know why. Because that's where a master distiller really comes in to play now. Uh, you know, and some people, I guess, are just figureheads. But a lot of these guys, whether the consumer base knows or not, are in there working. But a master distiller isn't stirring pots anymore. He's not hand crushing grain or, you know, he's not sitting on top of a 200 degree still and having to take proofs and temperatures like Jimmy would. It's all automated now. Right. Where a master distiller really comes in handy is how to remedy something that's going wrong or how to make something maybe even better in that automated process. And that's the stuff you've got to learn. You only learn that by being here. Jimmy can go in and smell the fermentation and say, ah, oh, you left that sitting there too long, starting to smell spicy. Mm -hmm. Well, until I was here for a decade I, and trying to actually listen and learn, I had no clue what that meant. But now when you go in, you smell it and you can tell, oh, we've had secondary fermentation come in. It kind of smells like vinegar. It's spicy. It's peppery. And it's stuff like that. You just have to kind of be here and pick up. Um, that for some reason, Jimmy and Dad don't, they don't teach you. They just figure, you know, you'll listen, you'll learn, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's kind I of figure it out in due time. It's experience, yeah. And You're going to figure out the hard way. I don't know if I'll ever make whiskey as, as, as good as Jimmy did in his prime. I think, I know I'm biased because he's my grandfather. But when you try that turkey that he was making, when cost was not a factor, mm -hmm. when he was probably losing money, hemorrhaging money probably, by making whiskey the way he did. Man, that stuff in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, that stuff is incredible. Right. Uh, and so my goal at the end of my apprenticeship is just to make something that's half that. You know, if I can make something that's got a little bit of that old school wild turkey funk, because we got away from it for a while. There's this weird time in the 2000s where our stuff is a little bit inconsistent. It doesn't have that same kind of wild turkey overall flavor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not as complex. It's not as flavorful. It doesn't have that deep funk that some of that other stuff had. Uh, but now we're getting, I think, back to that. Yeah. Um, when you taste some of these limited editions, uh, like the, the Russell's limited editions or like that Decades or, uh, you, man, you taste some of these single barrels that, that people come and buy. That's some of the best stuff we've ever made in the history of our distillery. And so I'm excited about getting to learn how to do it, but also trying to do that same stuff that Jimmy always did. Yeah, I mean, that was actually one thing that I had asked your dad when we started looking at the, the growth of the brand, how everything is pretty much... That's not running at full bore, right? It's at about three quarters capacity, something like that at the mm -hmm. at the current time. So there's going to be a day when age and stock is going to be there, right? And you can be able to say, well, well, I can, I'll go fill a few barrels with 107, right? Because you can do a run, and I'll just go fill 600 barrels, and then, yeah, then maybe you'll be able to look at having those releases where they are reminiscent of those old days, and it could be eight year wild turkey 101 you know, going into the barrel at 107 and it might be able to pick up some of that, that old. Uh, so here's something funk. I'll tell you. And really I'm trying to tell your listeners, um, is that if you all want to see stuff like that, even if we have, so here's how it kind of works with us is even if we do have back stock to be able to do that thing, we have to not necessarily get permission, but you know, there you gotta, has to be you gotta a, convince your overlords. Exactly. There, there, there needs to be a kind of a program and a plan involved and, and they really want to see that it's going to be worth their time. Even if it's not sold, they, you know, it needs to generate something. And so one thing that I like to tell bartenders, but it, it goes the same for people that would be listening to this, somebody that's an enthusiast or considers himself a bourbon geek or bourbon nerd or a collector. If you want to see stuff like old entry proof, if you want to see everything go non-chill filter, this stuff that I see people yelling about on, on bourbon Reddit or, or on people's blogs or on comments on Patreons and stuff, not only yell online, purchase, use your purchasing power. 
purchase the stuff like that. Tell people when you're at tastings or at these events, you know, hey, I would really like to see some wild turkey from 107 uh, because that's what matters. It, it, you never know. You could be talking to the right marketing person at the right time and all of a sudden, because this has happened with us, I heard from this guy that we would really like this kind of thing. It's like, yeah, we've been trying to tell you that for 15 years, but the one right consumer at the one right time with one right place can get something like that through. So we want to do all this kind of stuff, like 107 Entry Proof. We want to um, go back to making, uh, you know, maybe some even smaller batches than we're doing that are high proof, maybe non-chill filter, barrel proof, maybe something like the Kentucky Donut Legend Series. There you go. Um, but to be able to do that, you know, we need you guys too. There you go. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a call to action for all the <laughs> listeners out yeah, there. Yeah, you all help us a lot yeah. uh, when you all fight for the old school style whiskey that we want to make for sure. There you go. So one of the things that we didn't ask when we started this, because typically when we have somebody, we don't really need to do with Jimmy Nettie because it's Jimmy Nettie, but with you all, and it's typically what we ask all our guests, is kind of like, well, how did you get into bourbon? Like, what was, do you remember that first, like, time that you either consumed it or was it something that, you know, I'm sure possibly you coming here and actually just having to go to, do they have a daycare here? Did you have to come to daycare at the distillery? <laughs> the daycare for me, I think, was called like Keith James. Uh, it was a guy that worked under dad that I always used to try to hang out with when I was a kid. Uh, and I think he knew. I got you a bug again. Uh, <laughs> I think that Keith knew if he had the basically like the boss's grandkid with him that he could do whatever he wanted at work. So we used to hang out. No, no daycare. Uh, but if you want to go ahead first on the whiskey thing. I mean, for me, I guess definitely in the past few years, my... My interest in it, my love for it's grown a lot and just getting very fortunate to taste a lot of different things, um, especially a lot of our old school stuff like Bruce was talking about earlier, the stuff that Jimmy was making in the 70s and the, 70s and the 80s um, is some of my favorite stuff. And personally for me, like Russell's 98 is one of my, if probably my favorite product that we've ever made here before. Um, I just tend to like that sweeter, that vanilla, that caramel in those bourbons that we make here. So for me, I'm a big Russell's advocate um, in the whole entire line I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. So, I would say when I was 12, and I know that's probably not what <laughs> Campari and them want to hear. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, so 21, I'm this just is, We're all about being authentic. But when I was 12, uh, around then, I might have been 13. My brother's 9 or 10. Dad took us and gave us some whiskey and... Who you all probably know as Dad and Jimmy is not really who they are at home. They're very stereotypical Southern patriarchs of families, stern, don't speak, um, disciplinarians, uh, tough on you. And Dad at home does not speak. He hadn't spoken to me probably four times my whole life, except for maybe good game or bad game when I, I mean, was a, a kid. Lot. It, there's, there seems to be a, a, a consistent generational thing between the fathers in these families. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm the kind of the gregarious one, so I was just forced everybody to talk to me even if they don't want to. Bruce can uh, talk to a brick wall. Yeah. But when uh, whenever I was about that age, Dad took me and Jacob aside. It's my younger brother's name and uh, took probably 30 or 45 minutes to explain to us the importance of the product and, and kind of like his involvement in it. And he, you could tell he was very proud about a thing that I'd never seen him. He'd never been proud about anything like that before in his life except maybe my mom. Like that's the t kind of look he had on his face. And that's when I knew me and my brother both did. Now, he never got into this. And at that time, I didn't want to do this. But I knew this is special. Because mm -hmm. uh, dad doesn't really care about anything besides us, his dogs, you know, uh, and maybe hunting and fishing. But <laughs> he really cared about that whiskey. And I knew, like, oh, this is cool. Because um, before then, all I knew is Jimmy's everybody's boss. 
Mimi, because he had a big old office. And dad is not anybody's boss because he did not. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was just the normal. He smelled like everybody else smelled. He smelled like sweat and motor oil uh, and like aging whiskey. Uh, it's the best smell in the world when I was a kid. Kind of smells like when you drive up to the the distillery what it smelled like. But I, he was a normal worker. So I, I didn't even know him probably until I was about 15 or 16 that like Jimmy was different. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just like an employee. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but even at 12, I knew whatever this was, it matters because it matters to dad. So what was that, that turning point for you, whether it was a few years ago that you said, yeah, sure, I can, I can get into the family business because it sounded like you, you were like, same thing happened to me that happened to dad that happened to Joanne. Um, Jimmy was forced into his job uh, by my (laughs) grandmother, but, uh, we all took summer jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, dad did not start off wanting to work here. He, was playing football at Western. He had chiked up here because uh, he didn't have a car back then. Granny made him get a job at the distillery, a summer job. He just never left. Same thing happened to me. Basically, same thing happened to Joanne. Whenever I was 21, I got a job here giving tours. Um, I had worked a million odd jobs and stuff, farm stuff, working in Kroger at the meat department, working at FedEx, moving boxes. And Dad was like, well, this job would be a lot easier because mm-hmm. you know everything at the distillery already. You can just give a tour and talk about yourself. It was like, cool. And it's at this little place right next to where we're at. It's an old little one-room home that they've kind of converted into an event space. Um, and I gave tours and, and thought, I'm going to make my 10 bucks an hour and give these tours. And it'd be an easy six-hour-a-day job. I'll go back to Lexington and party up with the UK kids. And about a month in, um, I started getting questions from people. I started to get groups like probably the people that listen to this podcast. What's amylase enzyme? I've heard that before. Like, you know, why is your yeast proprietary? Why does that matter? Uh, or you, you would get questions that I would have no clue what it was, which would be like, um, well, why do you all run your stills hotter? And why is low proof even a good thing? Because I just knew low proof, low entry proof, low distillation proof. That's Because that's what Mimi says, because it tastes good. Mm-hmm. And then once I realized I don't have the answers, I started to pick the brains. And again, it was a situation where you had two guys in your family um, they really don't open up about much. And then as soon as you start talking bourbon. All of a sudden. They start to gush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and that's when I knew like, oh, I need to stick around here and at least figure out what's going on. Because this is cool. And this, and at, at that time, I was still thinking maybe I'd go be an engineer or do something like that. Uh, and it was probably the end of that summer when I knew I'm probably never going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never leave the bourbon industry. Uh, I love it. The people uh, and, and the opportunities it's afforded my family. It's changed my family. The opportunity to travel around the world and meet people that don't look like us and sound like us and that grow up like us. Uh, it's changed Dad and Jimmy for the better a lot. Uh, so this industry's done a lot for us. Mm-hmm. And we're very appreciative. So the other thing is, you know, being a little bit younger, you know, you're already talking about going party back up with the Lexington boys and stuff <laughs> like that. So do you see yourself actually living here in Lawrenceburg or do you see yourself maybe commuting from Lexington or Louisville every day? I probably day? commute from a city. Now I love where I'm from. I love Lawrenceburg. Uh, and it's a great place to grow up. It's a great place to raise a family, but you gotta, you gotta have, a, yeah, there's a little bit more. I've gotta, I've gotta make the family before I move somewhere where I'm gonna raise the family. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you tell me Tinder isn't like a big thing in Lawrenceburg? No, it, it, it's pretty tough going out on dates when every single single woman within probably five years of me I'm either related to or I've dated before or I dated their sister. You know, it's a small community. Everybody knows me and everybody knows my 
best times and my worst times. Yeah. <laughs> and that's rough here. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I'll probably have to go to Louisville or Lexington. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm never going to live here because Lawrenceburg. It's home. Yeah, it's home. Like, I, I went to school at Anderson County. I went to the same high school that Jimmy went to, same buildings and everything. Mm-hmm. I went to church right down here growing up uh, in this little community called Tyrone that is the most little country church in the world. Um, and that, it made me who I am. Uh, and I, I love it, but and maybe I've one, been living in Austin, so it's going to be hard oh, to go yeah. from Austin to, yeah, six, 7,000 people or whatever it is. You yeah. Know? The live music scene in Lawrenceburg just isn't the same. Huh? <laughs> well, now, uh, there's a guy right down there, Jared Stratton, that would disagree. He's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take your word for it. <laughs> so who knows? You could be here long enough and we'll get your own scooter down there. Hey, that scooter's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. It's about 50. That's what he says. He says, oh put a license plate on it and do some turn uh-huh. signals and I everything. really want to, because, you know, we know everybody in town. I really want to get the, the chief of police uh, to come down here and, like, fake arrest him from drinking and driving on his uh, little moped <laughs> scooter. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good one. What about you, Joanne? Do you actually live around here? Do you you commute? Like, what's your... What's so, your- went to school in Lexington. I still live there right now, um, but think I'm going to be making the move to Louisville um, by the beginning of the year just for work. Um, bigger market. Uh, as you know, Lexington's, it's not super big, definitely a college town, um, but there's only so much you can do there. So I'm excited to make the move to Louisville, get to a little bit better, bigger of a city, um, because I did grow up in Nashville. I grew up in a small town about 20 minutes south of Nashville, so um, much bigger than Lawrenceburg is. I was about but to say, it was like if they gave you an ultimatum, be like, you got to <laughs> move to Lawrenceburg. What would you I say? would do it. Absolutely. I mean, Granny Joe and Mimi live here. Um, I get free breakfast every Saturday at 9 a.m. I hope they don't force her to, though, because then she'd be <laughs> complaining to me. <laughs> be like, I'm spending the night at your house. I gotta get out of here. Gotta get out of here. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. I want to kind of just uh, kind of take it back, talk a little bit more about the whiskey, right? Because both of you are ambassadors. You, you both know it inside and out. So kind of because this is, this is you know, every show is going to feature a little bit different 
kind of angle on the wild turkey story. And since you guys know the product sets really well, let's just go through them just kind of real quickly to to give our listeners kind of a, a, a different understanding that they wouldn't necessarily get from Eddie or Jimmy when okay. we're talking stories, right? Yeah. So so let's start at the like the uh, the eighty one and one oh one and mm-hmm. kind of like give us the give us the typical spiel that you would usually do when you're out in ambassadoring is is the word we are uh, trying so to call it. So I'll do eighty one, you do one on one. I think eighty one's a little bit more difficult. A little bit different, yeah. Um, um so eighty one is a uh, was not the original one on one is so it's kind of a t- take on that 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 came out under the Pernod, uh I believe um, regime when they were our mm-hmm. parent company and, and they had decided that they wanted to have a competitor for the eighty proof set and like most eighty proofs uh you know surprise surprise to no one that's listening to this are four and five years old um, and they had chosen to go down that same route and so for a very long time we had an eighty proof wild turkey that was and when people say four and five years old, hopefully everybody knows that means it's probably all four years old. And every now and then a five might squeeze in, you know. <laughs> uh, and so it wasn't the best whiskey. Uh, and for a long time, and you've, I've heard on this podcast, so I'm sure you're aware that it's very hard to get uh, Jimmy to say anything bad about anything that's ever happened at the distillery. He's a very, very good, proud, good company proud. man, very proud, very positive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Now, if you get him along sometimes, he'll say what he thinks, but... He did not like that 80 proof, never did. And now he admits it. And, and I think by the end of the 80, he used to tell people kind of like, wink, wink, why would you drink the 80 if you could get the one-on-one? Mm-hmm. Because not only was it a four-year-old product, but it was proof down. It's just not what he liked. But then after Campari bought us, and I thought, I think it's one of the smartest things they've done, they realized that we didn't care for the product, and that's probably a big reason why it didn't sell. Because when you're two main faces of the company, they're on the road, Dad and Jimmy, when people ask them to drink the 80 proof and they refuse outright and go to something else, that tells you a lot. And so they decided, uh, let's change it. And they, it's one of the few things that they gave dad almost full reign on. And uh, he said, well, I don't think that it's a problem that we have a proof down thing. I just think the whiskey's not good. Uh, and so we changed the product. And what you see now is 81 is no longer any four or five. It's now going to be six, seven, and eight-year-old blend. Average age right around six and a half years. Uh, and what he wanted is he wanted an 80 proof product that, going to stand up in a cocktail that's one of the reasons why i think one-on-one is so industry friendly is it's 101 proof and we're known for having a big kind of in-your-face flavor um and it stands up if you add sweetener you add uh, modifiers you're going to still taste the whiskey or the rye it wasn't the case for our 80 proof and i think 81 is just a it's night and day better um uh, and i've seen all the reviews come out that have compared the old 80 to the 81 81 just kicks its tail uh that's one of the few things that that was kind of in that jimmy era that just i didn't think was a very good product but i know it wasn't up to him to make it so uh what you have now is is that blend of six seven and eight right at 81 proof it is a large batch so both it one-on-one american honey these products they're right around 1500 um barrels mingled together for that one batch as opposed to like 150 or less on those small batches um, and what we're looking for is kind of the classic wild turkey flavor profile, but a little bit lighter, a little bit, um, I guess, brighter and, and uh, like a little bit more crisp, maybe fruity almost is, is the way I would describe it. I think it's a lot less of that kind of caramel vanilla and a lot more um, like honey fruit. It's kind of a lighter thing. Uh, they, it is a different blend than the one-on-one. I think that's something that consumers don't know. Um, it's not the same blend. It's not the same age. They are completely different batches. Uh, one-on-one is older. Joanne will talk about that. Uh, and we do want 81 to, to have a different kind of flavor profile. Are you doing that for a particular market? Because, you know, talking about the, uh, a, a bourbon 
aficionado, uh, somebody that's semi-educated. Yeah. Do, do, do you really think that they're going to go for the 81 or they should probably? Maybe not. I, but I, if I everybody was so. a bourbon aficionado, the only thing we would make was master's keeps. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like That's not what everybody needs. Everybody likes different stuff. I'm not an expert in wine at all. Um, I can't even really say wine that well. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but when Cabernet, I drink my Cabernet, bottle Cabernet of... Sauvignon. Yeah, when I, whenever I drink my bottle of two buck chuck or whatever it is i'm as happy as a lark yeah uh just like i'm sure whoever enjoys like the 81 that's their go-to drink they're enjoying it um it's it's for maybe a a more of a beginning consumer it's for somebody that wants something low proof or or something a little bit more sessionable um or for a bar because there's a lot of bars that want wild turkey as their base product but 101 and 101 rye are not inexpensive especially for well or rail products. So if you go to a bar and they have one-on-one or one-on-one rye as their their bourbon and Coke order or whatever, that's a good bar. It's spending a lot of money on their product. Most people don't want that. They want something a little bit less expensive. 81's for that kind of bar too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have seen a, a, a pretty big growth on the off-brim too, which is exciting because like you were talking about, a lot of the consumers that are going to be on this uh, are going to be listening to this, are going to want more probably rare breed, spirit, private barrels, the limited stuff. Um, Nailed it. Yeah. (laughs) But we've got those consumers. Like, they're already on our side, and we make stuff specifically for them. So it's really fun to see when you walk into a liquor store and there's somebody that's, like, looking through, what bourbon should I get? Oh, wild turkey. Well, now 81's not 81 anymore. It's wild turkey bourbon, so that's what they're going for. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think if you try that, it does give you a kind of a good representation of what wild turkey can be. Um, Yeah, one-on-one and when you get up to rare breed or like a Russell's 2002, it just continues to be, I think, even more and more quote unquote wild turkey. I think 81's like a, a really good entry point. Maybe long branches too now. Mm-hmm. There we go. So go ahead. Hit us a little bit of one on one knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. So um, started back in like the late 30s, early 40s is when we first started making one on one. It was eight year one on one. One thing, one story that really stood out to me um, that Bruce told in the warehouse one day when we were doing a barrel pick was um, it really stood out because back then four year old bourbon was really what everybody was getting. And I guess when you put eight big on a bottle in 101, people kind of get drawn to it. Um, so that's kind of what built our company. Um, it's cool to see 101 still do so well. It's still our number one best-selling product. Um, like Bruce said, it does tend to be a little bit older. So seven, eight, sometimes maybe a little nine is thrown in there as well. But um, for there's the long- old, like 10-year-old in it this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wait, short on eight, I guess, because long branch or something. So there's yeah. a little bit older in this year. Yeah, but for the longest time, all we were making was 101 and 101 rye. Um, and one of, one of the coolest stories that I've, I've come to know is that without the bartending industry, without um, off-prem, on-prem, we would just still be 101 and 101 rye. We would not have Russells. We wouldn't have Kentucky Spirit. We wouldn't have Rare Breed um, because that's not what the market wanted back in the day. Um, so it's really what built our company. Um, it's still who we are today. One thing that I really respect about Eddie and Bruce is that they will never step on what Jimmy's done here. Um, like Eddie talked about a little bit earlier, uh, 101 will always be 101. Rare Breed will always be Rare Breed. Kentucky Spirit will always be Kentucky Spirit. Those are kind of Jimmy's babies. Um, but the 101, like I said, is a little bit older than the 81. Tends to be a little bit spicier, a little bit bolder, kind of that in-your-face bourbon. 
a lot of people tend to say it reminds them of their college days. Uh, Which is funny. Like, why, it's funny because we all we all talk about one hundred and one. They had is, way more money than I did in college. I used to drink whenever I was broke Kentucky and couldn't steal gentlemen. anything. Yeah, Kentucky gentleman and Mountain Dew. <laughs> now I was a Kentucky Tavern guy myself, yeah. so I was a Kentucky Tavern. Exactly. But we would every once in a while I had a, had a buddy because I'm I'm a nerd, right? I'm, I work in tech, and so every time I had to go fix something for him or reboot his girlfriend's router or whatever the fuck it was at the time <laughs> and he would always be like he was like hey we're gonna go get a bottle of 101 and drink it tonight and yeah we'd shoot it yeah. and back then we we're kind of like i was like now i'd probably like savor and sip it but back then we were shooting it right i don't know i understand it's exactly. a funny difference yeah, i still shoot it every now and then yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's i mean that's probably one of the biggest the biggest things i get especially working in the visitor center when people come in oh i drank this back when i was in college like that's how I know it is, what it is and why it's around. But um, tends to be older, a little bit spicier, 101 proof, definitely stands up in a cocktail. Um, definitely our boldest product, in my opinion. Um, it's where you're going to get that spice that kind of takes over your palate a little bit compared to a few other things in our portfolio that tend to be a little bit sweeter. Well, it's quite the statement to say it's the boldest one because you got rare breed as Think well. So, so. Yeah, 116 is pretty easy to drink, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, just, that's just back porch that's good. Yeah, country day fine. sipping whiskey right there. Uh, one thing I'll say about the 101 that I think is kind of cool that people probably don't realize when they look at the history, and I think this is like kind of in your face to some of the crowd that uh, maybe listens into this podcast, 101 started off as a contract brand. Mm-hmm. So when people that aren't super educated about how contract really whiskey works, yeah. yeah, don't poo-poo contract brands. Some of them are really great. <laughs> Ours is pretty good. <laughs> uh, but what it is, what how it kind of it all started, our distillery was already making that recipe and something similar. Uh, a guy that went on a turkey hunt got some of our whiskey from our distillery that he was already purchasing and fell in love with it and was one of the few people that probably have ever existed that was wealthy enough to turn an inside joke into a brand. And it had become kind of an inside joke with him and these guys on this hunting trip. Oh, this is Tom's Wild Turkey Whiskey. Mm -hmm. And uh, they fell in love with it. And then he started to promote it locally. And it was a contract brand. He owned the label, owned the name. And we made the whiskey for him here out of our distillery back when we were still Anderson Distilling Company when it was owned, I think, even by the Rippies. And then by the time we were, quote, unquote, owned by the Austin Nichols Company, Austin Nichols was then kind of merged or owned by a completely different company. And so anytime when we were, the label was owned by Austin Nichols, it was kind of a contract situation. Now we were making good stuff out of here, so it was a good contract situation. Um, and Wild Turkey just kind of took over. We were the JTS Brown distillery more so than anything else. That was our big product. And really the only thing that we made back then that's still around, I think. Although I think we made Dowling whiskey back then too. Mm-hmm. And I think it might still be around, but I'm not sure. Jimmy think, seems to think it is. Uh, but all of his like facts and figures and stuff are from back when he was drinking 20 years ago. <laughs> so I'm not sure. He's, not, he's not hitting it as hard as he used to. No, he's not. Not unless I, I make him. Yeah. Because now it's you two that are taking over hitting it hard on yeah. Friday nights, right? Uh, but, you know, once every four or five months, whenever we're all out somewhere, especially like he has certain places he really likes. Mm-hmm. Chicago is probably his favorite market. Definitely. Because um, he has a lot of friends there. And, uh, and old school people are still around there. But when you get him with some old school buddies, he'll still stay out till four, five, six in the morning. He, he the mind is willing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the, the palate is willing. He's just getting up there in age. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you hung out with him all day today and drank whiskey, he'd stay here with you until Friday if you wanted him to. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go hit, uh, hit a few other ones real quick. So talk about Rare Breed a little bit. Who wants to take that one? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll talk a little bit about it. So it started back in 91. It's when we did the first batch, I think. Um, Eddie said we've made about 13 batches now. 
Yeah, there's like 12 or 13 different proofs that we've done. Different yeah. proofs that we've done. Um, so making a new one every few years, but right now uh, it's going to be 6, 8, and 12 years old. So Jimmy really, really loves whiskey that is 6 to 12 years old. Um, so he basically took those three years that he loves the most put together um, out of barrel proof, and that's what made Rare Breed. So been around since the 90s. Um, the previous batch was at a 112.8. So it's a small batch bourbon. For us, that's about 150 to 200 barrels uh, commingled together. Um, and then right at barrel proof. So chill filter it right at barrel proof, not adding any water to that product whatsoever. So it's a cask, cask strength um, or barrel proof bourbon. Um, and right now it's sitting at a 116.8. Um, and it tends to be, there are a lot of, in my opinion, there are a lot of flavors that go on in the rare breed just because it does have so many different years in it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get down to kind of the nerdy science part about whiskey and especially aging it in a barrel, um, different years produce different flavors. So um, for me, six is where, really where you get that spice in the rare breed. Um, the eight is kind of where you get a little bit more um, of that vanilla, caramel, oaky flavor. And then that 12 is really going to kind of round it out, bringing more, a little bit more of that sweetness, kind of that that chocolatiness, I guess Eddie would say, nuttiness on the back end of the product. Gotcha. Real cool. And then uh, what do we, we – Kentucky Spirit, Russell's, right? Those mm-hmm. are kind of still fall in the same, right? Single barrel. Well, actually, Russell's doesn't technically have to be single barrel, does it, or is it? Uh, there's four Russell's products, so two single barrels and two small batches. Kentucky Spirit's probably the the next one that we would go with if we were, like, doing the ambassador thing because we usually do, like, all the turkey stuff and then the Russell stuff. Yeah. Um, so Rare Breed and Spirit kind of have a similar story where – uh, those aren't original ideas from Mimi. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he just saw his friends do something and thought it was cool and <laughs> did his version. Um, so Rare Breed came about just two years after Booker's. You know, that's not a coincidence. Um, and, and, but for the longest time, uh, Mimi, nor uh, as far as I know, talking to Freddie, Fred, and, uh, and um, remembering what I do from when I was a kid, Booker never wanted to do a single barrel, neither did Jimmy. They thought that it would be a disgrace to the brands because you would lose consistency. And they're right. You can never be perfectly consistent barrel to barrel. And that's why most of the people listening to this podcast and myself included think the single barrel stuff is probably the coolest stuff that comes out of all mm-hmm. these distilleries because you can taste um, – Every day it's something different. You could taste yeah. a barrel that Fred Minnick picked out or you could taste a barrel that uh, – like I was just up in New York with the Beastmasters guys or whatever or uh, you taste one that uh, an ABC store picks up. They're all going to be so wildly different, mm-hmm. some super weird and funky, some just like retail, some super light, and he hated that and still doesn't completely get behind it because <laughs> the consistency bothers him so bad. Um, and so it took him forever. So Booker's 89, Rare Breed 91. Mm-hmm. Well, Blanton's came out in 84. It took him 10 years to finally admit, hey, this Blanton stuff's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, maybe we should do our version. And so he kind of wanted to do the same thing Elmer did. Elmer wanted to basically make the best version of that ancient age juice he could. And Jimmy wanted to go about making the best version of one-on-one he could. Mm-hmm. And I still tell people that's the only way you're getting kind of the OG, the original one-on-one. Because Kentucky Spirit in that retail is always going to be at least eight years old. One-on-one in the bottle is not anymore unless you're getting it from Japan. So if you want that old school, at least eight-year-old one-on-one proof kind of flavor profile, I think Spirit's the way to go. Um, it, it's probably the least talked about, least fanned over, um, most forgotten about uh, product that we have in our, on our line. Uh, now that the Russell single barrels have come out, and a lot of people have gone to those for the private barrel program. And, and with Rare Breed being so good lately, um, I really think people should should – give spirit a chance if they haven't had it in a while it's a delicious product and when you find that right barrel 
uh, it might be the best thing we make. Uh, yeah. That stuff is so good. And I know some people get caught up in the, well, Russell's is 110 and it's one-on-one. Sometimes water helps. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you find that right that right barrel that you proof it down, you know, 10, 15 proof points, and that water opens it up, and it's just super tasty. <laughs> We're getting swarmed by bugs again <laughs> over here. But I, uh, I agree with Bruce, definitely, because I think Kentucky Spirit is my favorite product and just kind of like our standard portfolio, but definitely doesn't get the love that it deserves um, for being eight-year 101, kind of like that OG stuff. That's that what worries me they changed that bottle. No, we don't. Yeah. Uh, it could be the fact. It could be that the only reason people buy it now is because of that cool bottle, and so that scares me. Because not very much Absolutely. of it is bought, so I don't want anything to happen to that product. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you should probably just save like a few pallets of it in the back, so you can just go have your own little <laughs> special releases of your own spirit. <laughs> don't think that's not already done. Yeah, I see. <laughs> you know, here's a few quote unquote empty barrels out here. You know. There you go. <laughs> 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 That's smart. So we're gonna we're gonna get towards the end of this. So if there's any other products that you don't want to quickly touch on, real quick, to kind of educate the consumers. Yeah, I would love yeah. to touch on 101 raw um, a little bit more. Uh, it's my favorite product that we make year in year out because you're the, um, the rye guy. 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 Uh, but it's not because it's my favorite to drink. That would probably be the single barrel rye or maybe a revival right now. I really like, but. I think 101 rye is very important to us because it's very important to the the bartending industry. Um, mm-hmm. It's what they've traditionally kind of held as their own and the thing that they've always kind of supported uh, Wild Turkey with is putting 101 rye as the base cocktail in spirits or in wells. And it only exists today in its current form because of a bartender. And I think this is a good story to, to tell your listeners, whether they work in the industry or they're enthusiasts or they run their own blogs or podcasts or whatever, that, that you all matter. People that really, the people that enjoy our product and people that are passionate about our product, they matter to us. So one-on-one rye went away for a while. Um, we made uh, very little rye for a very long time. One day, kind of in the first season, spring, one day in the, in the second season, fall, winter. And, uh, didn't have enough. Um, part of that is because we didn't forecast enough. Part of that is forgiven happened. So we lost six months worth of our rye into an <laughs> uh, accidental thing that our buddy Connie did. And uh, we didn't have enough. So uh, in the late 2000s, uh, I think it might have been around 2010, 2011, 2012, right in there. Um, 101 rye went away. And uh, compared at that time, uh, came out with the 81. And I think they thought we can get by by just lowering the proof a little bit. And we, we couldn't get by. <laughs> uh, a lot of people got very angry, especially people that, that were had used that for decades as their, uh, their, their well. Yeah, yeah, their rye. Uh, if you ask for a rye neat, that's what they're going to give you. And so a guy by the name of uh, Eric Castro, who's a good buddy of mine um, now that, that yeah, I mean, he's almost like one of the family, uh, owns bars in San Diego, New York. Uh, at that time, I think maybe working in San Francisco, started an online petition. First time I've ever seen this happen. To petition a supplier um, and also kind of uh, speak out and say, if y'all are going to get one on one on one route, we're not going to carry any more Campari products. Uh, and he was a guy that kind of mattered. You know, he, he made himself matter. He was loud and proud about what he did and took bartending seriously. And, uh, and because of his passion and because he got a lot of other people to kind of side with him and sign up on this kind of like online petition or group or whatever it was, Campari listened and they came out with the product after just two or three years of it being off the shelf. And it's, we don't, it's not even on allocation anymore. We have plenty of it mm-hmm. and have had plenty of it for a year or two, the one-on-one ride at least. Um, and that's why it's kind of my favorite product because it's a product that 
is very near and dear to me because I enjoy it so much. Because one-on-one rye is the only reason why we make any rye to begin with. Because uh, it's the thing that kind of makes money on the rye side. But also because it's a good example of what a person that can be passionate, can, like, what they can do, what they can get done. Um, you know, you had a question from, from uh, Dave uh, Jennings earlier, uh, Rare Bird. Uh, it's another good example. Like This dude just made a hobby his hobby into almost like a full-time job, (laughs) even though he has another job. Uh, And like we talk about him in the company when we're doing meetings Mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, did you see that thing he said? Or uh, did you see that timeline that he did? Like, Barry's like, is this right? Can we use this? Uh, And so like, (laughs) should we pay him? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, He's doing a better job than a lot of people we pay to do that kind of stuff. (laughs) And like, if you're, even if it's not wild turkey, if you're listening into this, you're passionate about whiskey, about bourbon. Uh, if you're a Buffalo Trace fan or a Jim Beam stan or you only like 400-year-old family estate will Willett, that's cool. Be passionate about that almost to an obnoxious level and kind of good things happen mm-hmm. because we like that. We like when somebody shows up and gets that, you know that look I was talking about earlier that Dad and Jimmy have on their face when they're passionate about something, like when Dad was talking about that whiskey. That's the kind of look that makes me excited when somebody comes in and Dad's like, I, I got something that we haven't even put out yet for you to try. And you see that guy's eyes light up, you know, and you think dad had hung the moon at that point. That's the best part of this mm-hmm. job is see people get excited about what we do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's a good, that's, I'm going to go ahead and end on that note because this is going to be one that we're never going to forget because we're all going to walk away with mosquito bites after this. So, <laughs> <That's not right. laughs> so um, I want to kind of quickly wrap it up. If there's anybody that people want to get in contact with your social media, go ahead and let them know so they can find you. Twitter, so, Instagram. I'm Joanne Street. It's pretty basic on all social media aspects. You said it yourself. So. You called yourself basic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bugged. That was karma right there. <laughs> uh, my Instagram is Russell's Raga. Uh, I don't use social media very much. Um, and I think my Twitter is Bruce Russell 101. Um, I'm on Reddit too. You'll see me like pop around on bourbon reddit every now and then uh but if it, i can be reached uh any of those um social media outlets and, and if you want to know anything uh if you want to reach out and yeah. come take a tour or come pick out barrels or uh you just want to know what actually goes on and whether or not what you've heard is true reach out mm-hmm. uh, we're very open and honest and um we'll try to answer you as quickly as possible inside secrets with bruce russell (laughs) yeah so i want to say thank you all again for coming on the show make sure you follow them on social media make sure you follow us as well bourbon pursuit on instagram facebook and twitter and if you do like what you hear you want to keep this show going and bring on always new and interesting guests go ahead and subscribe and support us on patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash bourbon pursuit and if you have any more show suggestions people would like to see send us an email team at bourbonpursuit.com with that you two, thank you again for joining us. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. And uh, well, hopefully we'll do this again. Maybe well, we'll have to do a catch-up at some point, right? Because your dad and Jimmy were both on Mimi. I'll call, Mimi. I'll call him Mimi, too. <laughs> uh, he, they were back on episode 70, 76, something like that. And now we're, we're hundreds of pe- episodes past that. So it's going to be, it's gonna be nice. good to kind of catch up with you all soon. So yeah. with that, thank you again. And we'll see you all next week. Yeah.